how do you know what's right and what's wrong? How, how do you know? When, when you're facing a decision or when you're simply interacting with people, you have an opportunity. How do you know what's right or wrong? The way this works for most of us is at some point when you were young, someone who cared about you and someone you trusted probably told you this is right and that is wrong. Lying is, is wrong. Don't, don't do that. You should tell the truth. How many of you learned that before you could read? Probably before you could read, who learned that lying is, is, is wrong and telling the truth is good, right? So you learned that from someone that you trusted. They told you right from wrong. But at some point, that simple explanation, that simple rule, lying is bad, telling the truth is good, at some point you ran into a situation where it wasn't that clear, it wasn't that black and white. You ran into a situation where you had a friend that asked you, hey, what do you think of my new shirt? And you, in, you know you're supposed to tell the truth, but there's this part of you that goes, I don't know if I should tell them because it's really going to hurt their feelings because I think that's a horrible shirt. It's just, it's just hideous. And if I tell them that, it's going to hurt their feelings. And so suddenly, this, this rule, this really simple rule that you were given when you were small doesn't seem to fit in the real world. Or maybe, maybe the person who taught you that lying is is wrong and telling the truth is good. Maybe you caught that person in a lie. And now suddenly you're thinking, I, I don't, this doesn't make sense. The person who taught me this and, and the reason why I've always believed this, uh, that, that person is not even living out what they taught me. And, and at some point for many of us, our, our basic rules that we were taught when we were young about what's right and what's wrong begin to fall apart. Either they don't seem to fit in the real world or the people that taught them to us are not actually living out what they taught us. And so what do we do? Where do we go for morality, for what's right and wrong when, when that seems to fall apart? Normally what we do is we fall back on what makes me feel good about my behavior. What makes me feel good about my behavior. So if it makes me feel good about my behavior, it's probably right. And if it makes me feel bad about my behavior, it's probably wrong. This is what some would just call trusting your conscience, right? So generosity, giving to someone else, makes me feel good about my behavior. So I do that, and it's good. Or showing kindness to someone makes me feel good. But also, there are moments when gossip makes me feel good. It feels good to have news to share that other people don't know doesn't it? And so sometimes I do that because it makes me feel good. And sometimes, sometimes, maybe this has probably never happened to you, but sometimes revenge feels good. Or even just planning, plotting revenge feels good. And so if we're basing our right, what's right and what's wrong on what makes us feel good, then, then, then we, can, we can go either way on a lot of different issues. We, we may also try to avoid things that make us feel bad about our behavior. Like if hurting someone, if you were to hurt someone with your words or, or even physically, you would feel bad about that. that. So you try to avoid hurting other people. But also, being taken advantage of makes you feel bad. So there are moments when you would trade off, you would hurt someone to avoid being taken advantage of. Can you see how this starts to get confusing? 
Because what feels good for you in that moment may feel bad for someone else and vice versa. So we can look at the exact same action and it can make one person feel good and one person feel bad. For example, I have no problem walking into a movie theater with my own snacks in my pockets. Zero issue with that. If I can get it for 87 cents at Walmart and the movie theater wants to charge me $3.50, it makes me feel good to save the money and take my own snack in. My, uh, my lovely wife, on the other hand, is convinced. She saw a sign once that said, don't bring outside food or drink. And so she's, no, it's against the rules. We will not take snacks in. I would rather go hungry than take snacks in to the movie theater. So what makes me feel good because I'm saving money makes her feel bad because it's breaking a rule. So you can see how this starts to break down and get confusing really quick when we base what's right and wrong on how it makes us feel about ourselves. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was just one simple principle that you could follow? I'll tell you what, no one ever asks me, I get a lot of questions all the time about different, you know, decisions and, and options that people are facing, but no one ever asks me, could you give me just one basic principle to follow that would help me know what's right and wrong? No one ever asks me that. It's always this specific case. Tell me about this specific case. And so I get questions like, Adam, is it okay to hope that someone gets fired? because I really don't like them, and they're making my life hard, and, and, and it would just be great if they got fired. Is that okay? Is that okay for me to hope that? Adam, is it, is it okay uh, for, for me to get divorced? Adam, is it okay for us to live together before we get married? Adam, is it okay? I, I get that a lot, because in that moment, we just want some justification. Most people that come to me with questions like that have already decided what they want to do probably what they're going to do. They're just looking to me for confirmation. And it can get so confusing because if we're basing what's right and wrong on, on, on how it makes us feel about our behavior, then I, I could say, well, I, I wouldn't do that because it would make me feel bad. But they would say, well, it would make me feel good. Wouldn't it be great if there was just one principle that, that we could base our decisions on that, that can help us know, when, no matter what the circumstance, this one principle well, actually, God figured this out long before we began to wrestle with this. He knew that if he left it up to us, that we would make this complicated and confusing. So he made it really, really simple. And he gave us one, one principle. So we're going we're gonna to discover what that is today. Um, and some of you are wondering, like, I thought he was going to talk about the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? I am. So... Just wait for it. Uh, th well, this is the last uh, week in our series, I Know a, a Ghost, which is about our, our relationship with this mysterious spirit of God. And, and so we've talked in the past few weeks uh, about the Holy Spirit, about how, how we're, we're set up. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're set up to, to live by the Spirit and, and that the Spirit wants to, to communicate with you and wants to lead you and guide you in your life. And that actually the Spirit inside us is better than even having Jesus beside us. We saw the difference in the disciples when they had Jesus beside them. They still struggle with fear and doubt and, and all those things. But when they had the Holy Spirit inside them, suddenly they're bold and they're faithful. And so we've learned a lot. But today, I, I want us to get really at the heart of what the Spirit is supposed to do in us. But I think it touches on this idea of how do we know? What if, what if there was just one principle, one guiding principle? 
sentence that we could hang our hat on that would help us make the right decision in any situation. So we're going to come about this from sort of uh, uh, through the back door, okay? We're going to start in uh, Galatians chapter 5, but I want to tell you what the, the, the letter to the Galatians is really all about. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open to Galatians 5, or, or you can open to Galatians 1 and kind of track with me through this little summary, and we'll get to chapter 5 here in just a minute. Paul, uh, who was an apostle, an evangelist, he, he planted churches all over the Greek and Roman world. And then he would write letters to these churches because they were full of new believers who weren't really sure how to live out this new relationship with God through Jesus. And so he wrote these letters to encourage them and to teach them. Well, the churches in this region of Galatia had a very specific issue that Paul wanted to address. And so he wrote this letter to them to address this issue. They have bought into a false gospel. They had bought into a false gospel. Paul said, hey, I came and taught you the gospel, and then someone else came behind me and taught you something else, and you fell for it. You bought into this false gospel. And essentially the false gospel that the Galatians were struggling with was this idea that you had to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. You had to be circumcised to be a Christian. Now, for the Jews, th this was a thing. They, they, every male Jew was circumcised, and that's how they knew they were a part of the family of God, the Israelites. But Paul said Jesus came to establish a new covenant, and under this new covenant, circumcision is not the thing anymore. You don't actually have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus, but the Galatians had bought into this. And so Paul wrote this letter to address this false teaching and the impact that this false teaching was having on their church. And what Paul gets to when we get to chapter 5 is that the problem that, that this false teaching was causing in the church was that it was affecting how the people treated each other. And Paul said, what's really wrong here, yes, you bought into a false gospel, but the result of buying into a false gospel is that you have stopped loving each other. And how on earth can you be a church if you don't love each other? How on earth can you represent Jesus Christ to the world around you if you don't love each other. That's what, that was Paul's big concern. I will be happy to prove that to you. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. This is Paul's kind of like summary of the whole conversation up to this point. For in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The only thing that counts in this church and in every church of Jesus Christ is that your faith, what you say you believe about God, what you say you believe about Jesus is demonstrated through the way that you treat the people around you. That's all that matters. Just a few verses later, he says this in verse 14. For the whole law, Paul says, you guys want to follow the law? You guys want to get hung up on, on the old covenant? You, you want to hang on tight to the old covenant? Well, let me tell you what the old covenant's really all about. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said, this is what it's all about. This is what it's always been about. God has always wanted a people that would reflect his nature and character to the world around them. And his nature, God is defined by the word Love. And he's always been pursuing a people who would reflect his love to the world around them. Everything that God wanted for us and from us centers around loving 
each other. Now let's be clear what kind of love we're talking about. We're not talking about a, like an I'm okay, you're okay, you, you, you do you, and I'll, I'll do what I do, and, and we'll all just, you know, be one big happy family, that kind of love. The kind of love Paul's talking about is different. It's the kind of love that Jesus defined for us when he said, greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. This, this kind of love is defined by, I will do what's best for you as God defines best, even if it costs me. That was exactly the attitude that sent Jesus to the cross. Jesus was thinking of you. And he said, I'm going to do what's best for you. And what's best for you is to be set free from your sin. And I'm going to do that for you even if it costs me my life. I would, that's the kind of love that Paul is talking about. And that's the kind of love that the Galatians were missing out on because they got caught up in this false gospel. And this is what Paul is trying to correct. Now, here, here's the challenge that most of us come to when we, we think about this kind of love, that I'm supposed to have that attitude towards everybody. I mean, like, you know, I got married, and, and I feel like, you know, like, I, I'm working on having that kind of love to the person that I'm married to, much less, like, everyone around me. There are people around me, God, I don't even like, and you want me to love them? And we think it's impossible. And Paul, this is exactly what Paul would say to these Galatian believers. Yes, actually, you cannot do this. You can't love like this on your own. You can't. It's impossible. But he's going to tell them how they're able to love like Jesus loves. How they're able to reflect the kind of love to the world that God has shown to them. So, we're going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 23. Uh, we're going to move through this. We're going to understand the Holy Spirit's role in this conversation. And uh, we're going to end, hopefully, with an encouragement and a challenge for each of us. Are you ready? Yeah, me too. Okay. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. So he set up for them, like, love, love, love. This is all about love. This is all about reflecting the love of Jesus. And their response as they're reading this is, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I'm capable of that kind of love. And Paul says, let me tell you how to do it. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You remember a couple weeks ago, we had a couple tables set up here. One was representing self, and one was representing spirit. And we talked about feeding the self starves out the spirit in your life. But when you feed the spirit, it starves out the self. Because these two things are at war within you, and, and you've got to decide which one you're going to feed. This is exactly what Paul's talking about here. That, that this selfishness is what causes us to be unloving towards others. So we need to walk by the spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This should be obvious, the things that selfishness produces. And here's the thing. It is obvious when we see it in other people, isn't it? It's much less obvious when we are looking in the mirror. But here's what Paul says. You can see this in others. And, and if you're really honest, when you look in the mirror, you know what selfishness produces. And he's going to give us this list. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And things like these. This, Paul says, is what selfishness produces. Now, what is the problem with these things? Why are, why are these things so bad? 
if you look at this list, what you, what you see is it, it's, it's all about how we treat each other, pe- each other people, how we treat other people. It's all about how we treat other people. Sexual immorality is about your relationship with other people. Rivalries, dissension, anger. The only two things you can point to that may, maybe, I don't know how that's related to, is idolatry and sorcery, but I still think you can make a case that if, if you're living an idolatrous lifestyle, it's going to impact your relationship with other people, your ability to love others. This is, this is all about how we treat each other. And Paul ends with this phrase, and things like these, because he wants us not to look at this as a checklist. So we can, you know, look at this list and go, well, I'm not guilty of that, I'm not guilty of that, I'm not guilty of that. Uh, maybe, but that's really not my fault, so I'm not really guilty of that. And we can check all these things off. Paul's saying, this is the category. These are the kinds of things that prevent you from loving others. These are the kinds of things that, that selfishness produces in your life. This is the fruit of putting yourself at the center of your life. And why is this a problem? What are the consequences here? Well, he's going to tell us in the next verse. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That if this is how you decide to live, with yourself at the center, you need to understand. You, you may have prayed a prayer. You may have gotten baptized. You may have done, you may have attended church. But if these are the kinds of things that characterize your lifestyle, you're not in the kingdom of God. You may think you are, but you're not. Because you've put yourself at the center. And, and you can see it by the fruit. So, what's the solution? We look at all this and we go, what? Well, what are we going to do? Because I think we're all guilty. We look at that list and we go, I've done some of those things and maybe some of those things are still a part of my life even now. So does that mean I'm out? Where can I get some help? So the next verse, Paul lays it out for us. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, this is what the Spirit produces in your life. If you walk by the Spirit, this is what you should expect to see happen. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And again, he says such things because he's, he's not making this a checklist. He's not saying these are the only nine things that the Spirit produces. He's saying it's things like this that the Spirit produces in your life that enable you to actually love other people in a way that you would never be able to do on your own. That when you walk by the Spirit, you're actually capable of loving people that you don't even like. When, when the Holy Spirit is alive and present and you're walking by the Spirit, you can walk by the Spirit into joy in the midst of people who are negative. You can walk by the Spirit into peace in the midst of difficult circumstances and unfriendly people. You can walk by the Spirit into kindness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things. The Spirit can produce in you. In fact, in fact, I think Paul would say that the Holy Spirit's mission is, very, is this very thing. The Holy Spirit's mission is to prepare me for and propel me into greater love. A, a greater love than I'm able to produce on my own. That that's the Holy Spirit's mission in my life is to prepare me for and to propel me into greater love. When you look at this list, these are all things that enable us to love people better. When you're at peace, you're much better at loving others than when you're in turmoil. When there's joy in your life, when there's self-control, when there's faithfulness in your life, you're much better at loving the people around you. 
This is what the Holy Spirit is intended to produce. So as we've gone through this series, maybe some of these questions have come to your mind and you, you think, where am I supposed to expect to see the Holy Spirit show up in my life? Well, here's the answer. In the way that you treat other people. What is the Holy Spirit really trying to accomplish in me? Well, he's trying to get you to love like Jesus loves. What is the point of all these changes that God has been making in me over the years? The point is greater love. And, and the beautiful truth here, the thing that we need to hold on to is that I am actually capable of greater love by walking with the Holy Spirit. Like this, this command that Jesus gave to love your neighbor as yourself, I'm actually able to do that when I walk by the Spirit. If I'm not walking by the Spirit, I'm not able to do it. If I am walking by the Spirit, I am able to do it. And this is actually the very thing that God wants most for you and me. Now, just to reinforce this, in case you're not totally on board with this idea yet, I'm going to read some other passages that just help us see that this is really the focus. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I think this is a fascinating and focusing text. Because there's a lot of other things Paul could have said here. You know, if I... If I, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I, can, if I can pray in a way that it makes everybody around me think, man, that guy, that guy is so close. He's so spiritual. He's so close to God. But I, I don't have, you know, great Bible knowledge. Then I'm nothing. Well, he didn't say that, did he? If I, if I, if, if I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have great church attendance, then no, he didn't say that either, did he? In fact... What Paul's trying to drive at here is that you, you can have the Bible memorized. You can have perfect church attendance. You can give not 10, but 11% of your income away. You can vote the right way in every election. You can stand up for your beliefs on Facebook. But if love is not the defining characteristic of your life, you have absolutely missed the point. Again, if Paul is a little too much for you, let's go to somebody else. John, who lived with Jesus day in and day out for three years, wrote this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love. You want to know what love looks like? This is it. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's not enough just to talk about loving people. You actually have to do it. And we look down and we go, wow, that's so hard. It's so difficult. Not everyone is lovable. And I, I don't, I've got a limited amount of time and a limited amount of talent, a limited amount of treasure. How am I supposed to love everyone like this? And Paul would say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. How do I love and forgive someone who really wounded me? Walk by the Spirit. How do I have joy when I'm surrounded by negative people? Walk by the Spirit. How can I experience peace and how can I be a peaceful presence in the midst of turmoil? Walk by the Spirit. 
How can I exercise patience with people who are just annoying? Walk by the Spirit. How do I show kindness to people that I strongly disagree with about things that are really important to me? Walk by the Spirit. On Tuesday, I was uh, at the library. I, I take a, a one day a month where I just take a day just to study and pray um, and try to stay centered spiritually. And so that, this was my day on Tuesday. I was at the library studying and praying. I was a little distracted because there was someone snoring nearby. There was a guy stretched out on the floor in the library uh, just having a good old nap. And uh, this is not terribly uncommon in libraries. They are a good haven for people who don't have another place to be. And uh, one of the library workers came over and tried to wake him up and get him to leave, and he didn't wake up. And so she left to go call the police. Well, another lady realized that's what was happening, somebody who didn't work there. She went and woke him up. She said, you have got to get up. They're going to call the police. So go ahead. And so he, he got up, and he stood up, and he's really groggy, and you can tell he, he's not even sure where he is maybe, but... Uh, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and make some phone calls and try to get you a place to stay tonight. So just, um, just hang out here. Well, um, he, she, she had asked him, are you hungry? And then this other guy who was sitting at a computer uh, a few feet away heard that and, and brought over and he had a peach. And he said, hey, I heard you were hungry. Here's, here's a peach. And so the, the young man just scarfed that peach down. <clears throat> and I'm watching all this happen. And uh, I'm on my study and prayer day, you know, being, being super spiritual. And I feel this urge to go and talk to him. And I'm like, nope. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't need to get involved. There's, there's two other people helping him out. He's, he's good. I don't need to get involved. I, I'm studying and praying. I'm being spiritual today. This is a spiritual day. But this, this feeling wouldn't leave me alone. It's like, you need to go... You need to go and talk to him. I'm like, uh-uh. I, mm, mm, mm. I don't want to. Because I've done this kind of thing before, and I know that you, you, this could end up taking the rest of my day. And I'm like, ah, it's supposed to be a spiritual day. Right? But this wouldn't leave me alone. And so I found myself packing up my bag and, and walking over to him and saying, hey, uh, my name's Adam. What's your name? He said, James. I said, James, are you, are you hungry? Uh, he said, yeah. I said, well, I'm getting ready to go get a sandwich. I wasn't, but that's what came out of my mouth. <laughs> I said, do you want to go with me and get a sandwich? He was like, please. And I could just tell he was desperate to get out of here. He didn't want to have to deal with the police, and he wasn't too sure about this other lady. So he's like, let's go. So I, I said, all right, let's, let's go. So um, we, we left on the way out. I noticed he was wearing this denim jacket that just was buttoned up once and no shirt underneath. So I was like, that's weird. You should ask him about that. Mm -mm, I don't care. I don't want to know. Why he doesn't have a shirt? But I found myself saying, uh, hey, what happened to your shirt, man? Uh, I threw it out. You threw out your shirt. I wonder why. That's curious. You should ask him about that. Oh, I don't want to. I don't care. I don't. Mm. But I found myself saying, well, why, why did you do that? Why did you throw your shirt out? Well, because uh, Jeremiah gave it to me. I'm like, okay. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. You, you threw out the shirt because Jeremiah gave it to you. And now... I'm, I'm fully engaged. I, I, I got to know. Okay, so why did you throw out the shirt that Jeremiah gave you? He said, because Jeremiah got my brother killed last week. And we, we got in the car and we headed to get a sandwich. Guess where? Chick-fil-A. And uh, 
And, and on the way, he unloads this story about how his brother Josh was shot and killed just a few days before. Um, and his house and his mom said, don't come back. And that's how he found himself asleep on the floor at the library. So we went and got a chicken sandwich and then we went to Goodwill and got a shirt. And I was going to take him back to the library because there was a lady there that was trying to help him out. And he said, I don't want to go back there. He said, I need to go to Boston. I've got money for a bus ticket. Can you take me to the bus station? I'm like, oh, you're, you're a grown man. I'll take you wherever you want to go, I guess. So we, we drove down the Greyhound station. And on the way, he, he tells me, I just said, I could tell he was, he was really grieving. I said, tell me about your brother. So he begins to talk about his brother Josh and how they would rap together and they, that, that that was their dream. They were going to make music together for the rest of their lives and they were going to be famous. And, and so I said, well, let, let me hear you rap. And he busted out this 60 seconds of rhyme that was really impressive. And I'm like, okay, he's not playing around. He's actually really good. And at some point, I said, uh, hey, let me just tell you why I'm doing this. I, God has shown such great love for me when I didn't deserve it, that I, I just, I feel like God loves everybody the way that he has shown love to me. And, and I just want you to know. I just want you to know that God loves you. That I think he wants a relationship with you. And that uh, he's, he's, he's pursuing you with his love. And he said, he said, all right, that's cool. So we get to the bus station and, and uh, he's getting ready to get out of the car and, and, and he goes, hey, can we pray before I go? I'm like, oh, that's my line. Uh, and, and I said, sure. And so I get ready to put a hand, I'm a hand on the shoulder guy. I'm a hand on the shoulder prayer, okay? I get ready to put a hand on his shoulder. He grabs my hand in his hand. And before I can open my mouth, he starts praying. And he said, God, thank you for putting somebody in my life today that would show me your love. Thank you for reminding me that you love me. And I could tell this was a truth that had been buried deep down in him somewhere and he had forgotten it. He just said, God, thank you. And I pray that you bless this man for showing me your love today. And he let go of my hand. He was gone. I don't, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. But what I know is that whole thing was not about me at all. My, my whole moment of wrestling with I'm trying to have a spiritual day and study and pray. And God was like, let me show you what a spiritual day looks like. Get up off your butt and go help somebody. God was inviting me. God had decided, I want to show some love to James today. And I can just picture him in my mind looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit going, hey guys, we're going to show love to James today. What, 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 who's, who's around? Look, Adam's around. You think we should invite Adam to be a part of this? And they're like, yeah, let's invite Adam. And the Holy Spirit's like, I got this. And he was all over me. And it was, it was never about me. It was about God wanting to show love to somebody else. And he chose me as his vessel. As Paul would say, just a, just a busted up clay jar. And he chose me. And I think he wants to choose you. I think he wants to use you to show love to somebody today. I think he's just on the edge of his seat. There are all these people that don't know how much God loves them. And God's like, who can we invite? Who can we bring into this? We, we want other people to participate as I show love to people. Who can we invite? Maybe we can invite Cam today. Maybe we can invite Gary today. Maybe we can invite Jessica today. And our job to walk by the Spirit is to just say yes. When the Holy Spirit invites you to show love to someone else on God's behalf, just say yes.
I lost about three hours of my day that was supposed to be spent praying and studying. Do you think I have any regrets? Not one. Just say yes. Walk by the Spirit into greater love. That's, that's his mission. That's what he's trying to do in you. Because this is not really about you. It's about God's desire to show love to the world. And he's just invited you into the process. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for inviting broken and weak people to be a part of showing your great and powerful life-changing love to the people in our world. And my prayer, Father, is that you would put it on the hearts of every person in this room to simply say yes. Say yes to the opportunities to show love to the people that you put in our path, whether that's our family, our spouses, our co-workers, our neighbors, that in all of this, Father, we would be your vessels. God, may we walk by your Spirit into love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and everything like that that prepares us to love like Jesus.